Welcome to Cannabis Business Minds Podcast with your host, Simone Samaluka Radzins. Join me where I'll take you inside the ins and outs of this brand new and exciting business called cannabis. Connect with me on Calagia.com and follow us on social media as well. And here's today's show. Cannabis Business Minds. This is your host, Simone Samaluka Rodsons, and today we are going to be talking about the golden state of California and what, what exactly is actually happening in that state right now. The short answer, a lot of smoke. Now, as you guys know, California is the fifth or the sixth, depending on what, res- what source you're actually using, uh, largest economy in the world. 39 million people live in the state. 40 million people visited each year, and it is the largest cannabis market in the world. So in 2016, when adult use passed, in 2018, when the first adult could actually buy cannabis legally in the state of California, eyes were on the Golden State. You know, investors were super excited. Entrepreneurs were really excited. There was a ton of people that moved to California to be part of this green rush. I remember I would see the shiniest pitch decks, the craziest financial projections. I'm talking $2,500 a pound for wholesale cannabis. Okay, side note, that's like really way too high, right? And everybody that was kind of new to this space was like, yes, I'm just going to make a ton of money, right? But unfortunately, California wasn't really set up to make a ton of money at the very beginning. And and most cannabis businesses, in fact, aren't because there's regulation, right? And in California, there are three regulatory bodies. There's a crazy tax structure that hits cultivators and hits also dispensaries and the end consumer with the excise tax. California licensing, it's local licensing and state licensing, making it even a little bit more difficult for the market to actually get up and get running. That's what we're seeing right now because Los Angeles, the largest, you know, the largest city in um, in California for cannabis, right? Like the largest cannabis consumption that there is actually hasn't even licensed out all of the dispensaries, right? So the industry itself is facing this huge like supply and demand um mess, right? There's an illicit market, a very high tax structure, and it's crippling the cannabis industry. And so a lot of a lot hasn't actually happened in the state of California. And so today we're going to be talking about what is happening right now. You know, what is going on on the ground with one of my favorite attorneys, Ms. Tony Forge from Four Leaf Consulting. We're going to talk about what Tony believes are the three main things that California needs to figure out before the, the, you know, the market truly can come to fruition. And we're obviously going to talk about entrepreneurship and social equity and the city of Los Angeles for a little bit. So get ready for a great episode, you know, hope you're relaxing, get a notebook if you want to take some notes, because we definitely talk about some great nuggets of information and sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Ms. Tony Forge of Four Leaf Consulting, I am so happy to get you on Cannabis Business Minds. It's been way too long. We have so much too long. Way too long. 
And we have so much to catch up on about cannabis, about Los Angeles, about California, about social equity, and about just being an entrepreneur yourself. And, you know, thank you for coming on the show. Well, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Um, I love our conversations. I love meeting with you. And I love talking about what's really out there and what's going on. It's such a trip to me all the time because I'm just like, oh, my God, L.A., cannabis, can we just get our shit together, people? So, yeah. So it's, it's good to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, of course. And I think, you know, maybe we just dive into that because, you know, it's been a minute since I've done any podcasting. I haven't been in California now for a year. When I saw you in November of 2019 and I saw all the, the gals in, um, in cannabis, I was like, hey, what's, right. up with, what's up with LA? And everyone's like, it's still a shit show. And that's <laughs> And that seems what it's like in California too. And yeah, but explain, I mean, why, what is taking this long? Is it just the, the regulation? Is it the slow pace of licensing in Los Angeles? What is happening to make it such a sandstorm? Well, I think it's a number of things. So First and foremost, I think you have to separate what's happening in Los Angeles. So I'm going to talk about the anomaly name Los Angeles later. And then let's just talk about in California in general. And everybody's going to have a different opinion, but this is my opinion. I really think there's so many, there's two Three big things. Barriers to entry, number one. Um, the lack of, a lack of cannabis ordinances in cities and then taxation. So the barriers to entry is I'm just amazed when people call me still to this day, Simone. I just had the conversation last week. People think that they can make their cannabis brownies and sell them out of a store and that's that even to this day and you know i started in this even to this day i started doing this in 2016 before the regulated market and people just think prop 64 meant okay you can smoke and make and and sell anywhere you want to sell and that's not the situation people have got to understand that in the regulated market you need a license and they really just don't understand what that takes. So number one, a barrier to entry for me is lack of education. There has to be more education for people getting into this business that A, it takes a shitload of money, and B, that there are certain parameters and hoops that you want to jump, you have to jump. And so many times people are telling me, I don't want to do all of that. Well, then you don't want to be in the cannabis business yeah. because you have a lot of hoops that you have to jump. So that's kind of the barriers to entry for me. Yeah. Number I, two I, are, I, I, go ahead. A quick, a quick question though, because I mean, I find it shocking, right? Like we are, we just talked about, it. we're in the digital age, like education, education, education. We've done boot camps together before. Like people come, they learn like, the whole concept of having like the Bureau of Cannabis uh, Control and all the regulatory bodies is to educate the public. And so why do you think that barrier exists? Is it just because the people aren't looking at the right spot or 
misinformation. You know what I I'm amazed about in this um, in this space, and you and I have talked about this, and I think it was the first time you had me speak at one of the uh, women in cannabis events. People go with urban legend. I have never seen an industry where people go on hearsay more than they will find the information for themselves. And the information is there. So the BCC does a fantastic job of giving you all the information. They make it digestible. They have these fact sheets. Um, there's now a, a Cal Cannabis portal that has all of the agencies on one portal. I use it all the time. Yeah. But I just think that people don't want to, they want to create their own reality. It's like being in love and then the reality of what love is really about. You know, it's hard fucking work, people. Yeah. But they want it to look like the notebook and the photograph. It don't look like that all the time. No. So I think, I think people have the dreams of the old black market. That's not a nasty word. That's the reality. And they want to keep it that way instead of this is what you need to do and following up on that. It's because you're right, Simone, at this day and age in 2020, it absolutely makes no sense. There's 500 articles in the LA Times talking about licensing or lack thereof in LA. I mean, people should have an idea, but they, but they really don't because I get the phone calls and I'm amazed when I get the calls. And then they, you know, I sound like a hater and I have to deject them from their life's dream of having a cannabis business. And I'm like, you know, your $25,000 in the bank ain't going to get you nowhere. That's not even going to get you a local and state license, you know, to have somebody help you do the application. Yes, yes. Yeah, you were, I mean, you're preaching to the choir here and it's just so funny because even when they, if they dove in deeper, right? So they're talking to you once, once they figured out like, okay, I need to, they're doing research, they find you, they're trying to figure out, okay, well, how do I actually start this? But there is that big misconception, which is the back to your barriers to entry of just even the cost barrier of starting a cannabis business. Like it doesn't take 25,000 to build a cannabis business. It takes five to 10 times that, depending on what you're building. Absolutely, absolutely. And you and I both know that the rent alone, 25,000 could be, two months to three months. That's not anything else. That's just a rent. So, you know, people have got to um, really do some due diligence. I feel like that is everything I always say a hundred times over, because, you know, for me, it's really about educating people about this process. Mm -hmm. And I want to help people in their dreams, but people have to be very open and very realistic. And you know me, I am extremely practical, too Mm -hmm. practical at times. (laughs) Um, But people really have got to do some due diligence. And if you don't want to spend... $500 or $1,000 with a reputable person for a consultation on how to get started in this business, then you shouldn't be in this business. Because if you can't afford that to get the information, then, honey, it's going to be a lot more money and, and you shouldn't even be in it. And, you know, people have got to 
get that information, do a business plan. I'm just amazed when I, I see people don't do any type of business plans. You know, three years out, what is your business going to look like? People think that this is the part that just kind of cracks me up about everything. When I hear somebody say to me, this license is worth $2 million. <laughs> so you, I mean, how do you evaluate that? It's a piece of paper. It's, a marriage yes. license is not worth $2 million. A cannabis <laughs> license, a piece of paper is not worth $2 million. What operation do you have to support that? What valuation? And you and I both know, Simone, with some of these people, it takes them so long to get up and running. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm paying two, you value something for $2 million that doesn't even have anything in it hasn't even passed the second leg of inspection. So, you know, you've got to get your information. It's, it's time to get out of the closet of, of, you know, I don't want to say, what's the word I'm looking about? Naivete. Well, I didn't yeah. know. We're, we're, we're way down the pipeline now. You got to yeah. know. Yes. And you've got to get the information and you've got to pay for the information. And then you can go from there. Yeah, no, I agree. So number one reason kind of why California is kind of messing up from kind of Tony's perspective is barriers to entry from education and then kind of capital as well, which makes total sense. Yes. All of those businesses that were not informed, that did not understand kind of the capital requirements that they needed to put into their business, had delays in licensing, had delays in X, Y, and Z. I've been reading about it even, you know, I know we're not talking about LA yet, but like how investors are pulling out because the licensing is taking too long or how people didn't have a business plan. And because of one maybe reason, because of that, they're not actually able to continue growing, right? So I think the amount of licenses in California completely is dropped. Like the supply chain, I think itself has shifted. And yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Barriers to entry is huge huge right and it really is the capitalization and we're, and we're going to talk about LA but let's just talk about you know people did not have these business plans and and mm -hmm. you had investors that just blindly invested right mm -hmm. because they thought oh it's the green rush we're going to be making all this money California is the biggest market LA is the biggest market in the world mm -hmm. and I, I beg to differ because we don't even have a viable L.A. market. Yes, you have the pre-ICO. Yes, you have the phase two. But, I mean, people aren't really up and running and thriving like they should. Um, and so look at all, this all these investment dollars. And poor L.A. and people have been paying rent month after month or just sitting on the buildings. I've had clients that have done that, and they can't afford it anymore. And investors do not want to invest in something where they just don't see an end in sight. And in LA, we've been dealing with this for years. And I mean, I, but I'm going to, I'm going to toot my own horn because <laughs> I've said from the very beginning to clients, I would not do LA as your first venture yeah. because you and I both know it's very political. Yeah. It's extreme. It, it's just, all these tentacles. Yeah. And I tried to encourage my clients who were doing cannabis the first time, do a, do a nice little city like Yoruba Valley. Do a nice <laughs> little city like Paris. You know, something that is 
clean cut, here's the ordinance, you pay your money, you get your building up, and you go. Yes. But there's so many, you know, political ramifications in L.A. that are going on. It's really just very hard for cannabis entrepreneurs to get started. So, yeah. So, in a nutshell, I know we went off target, but I think it's lack of education and capitalization mm -hmm. as the first barriers mm -hmm. to entry. Yep. Agreed. What about number two? Number two for me are more cities have got to open up. Yeah. Um, I am just amazed by the the lack of cities that are allowing cannabis. And so anytime you get, like there's some cities that are opening up, Pomona, Corona, but a lot are not opening up for retail storefront. And so they're opening up for manufacturing, for cultivation, for testing, because then you don't have that public backlash, right? Mm -hmm. That the public just doesn't want all of these cannabis um, shops opening up and if they think they're going to be peddling weed to their kids. Yeah. And so I think what we need to do is a better job of educating um, these cities regarding what do, do these ordinances look like um, and how the state is protecting. I mean, I did last week an operators for one city, an operator, um, uh, it was a meeting for all the operators to give them the new state regulations after January 2020. Mm -hmm. And one thing I was surprised when I was doing my research is just how much the state has said regarding advertising, outdoor billboards, advertising on social media, all this kind of stuff, with they really want everything to be targeted to people over 21. And the rules say, you know, your advertising has to be targeted for people over 21 and that people have to have data on hand that says over 71% of the data for advertising is to people over 21. And I thought, wow, that's good that the state says this, but how many people know that? Shit, I didn't even know it until I had to research it. <laughs> but I, I think what cities need to know is that you know, it can be done responsibly. Um, it, it's not going to be peddling weed on every corner. Um, and we need to start educating and getting the cities more on board. Yeah. Um, and I think that's going to be very important for this to thrive in, in California. And I really think Governor Newsom is doing a good job with trying to kind of promote the industry and trying to say, okay, maybe we need to lower taxes. Maybe we need to talk to other cities. So I got to give him some love for that. Yeah, no, I mean, it's to have it at kind of the top level, I think it's so critical, like having that kind of proposed and even reconciling the three regulatory bodies in California. To yeah. one. I, it's, it's so fascinating, though, because, you know, California has like the local licensing, like with all the counties and then the state licensing is that those states are so, or excuse me, those counties many of them are quite impoverished, right? And they're really wanting to have, you know, they, they would want to say yes to cannabis if it could increase their budget, increase their revenue. And I think that, I'm curious, it's almost a segue into kind of the next topic of taxation. Like, what is a solution there? Because for me, you know, like for me, there was like Nevada County, 
like basically fell way short on their revenue projections for cannabis revenue. They anticipated about 200,000 in revenue, I think in the last, I don't know if it was last year or the last quarter. And they only got about like uh, less than 60,000. And that's similar to the state of California wow. as well. And because right. it's such a fucked up, excuse my language, like it just a ta- like the tax structure is so messed up. It's local and then it's state and it's cultivation and state and the excise to state that the cannabis operators along the supply chain, if they're cultivators, they're getting taxed, but even the retailers are really feeling the burden by the end consumer. So it's this really interesting problem that I'm not sure where you'd actually solve it. It's almost like the counties need to say yes to cannabis, but if they're saying yes, they have to realize that they won't see a a return on their taking the risk, I suppose, of these operators for a few years almost. I mean, I don't know if any even go would even say yes to something that preposterous in their mind, but I feel like that's the only way it could be successful. You're absolutely right. And I know there was a town hall meeting with the city of Oakland about reducing their taxes. Mm -hmm. And I think one problem I see with working with cities Mm -hmm. are they have such a high cost of doing business in their Mm -hmm. city. So it's just like, you know, if you have a development agreement or something and you have to give a certain percentage of gross sales or net sales towards a project in the city, plus you have all this taxation and licensing and everything. What some of these cities need to realize are these are businesses trying to get up and running. I can see the high taxation a little further down the line, but when you're just getting first through fifth year, you know, you need a break here. So I just think they need some kind of tiered taxation, like from the first four or five years that it's going to be lower on the fifth year, it may go up because then by that time, you're up, you're operating, you're making money, you're Mm -hmm. breaking even, you may have a little profit, but I think they just think, oh, you're selling cannabis, you're going to be a millionaire the first year. And as you and I both know, that is further from the truth. So yeah, the state is going to have to really come down on some of this taxation and multi-level taxation, as you're saying. And then the cities are going to have to do something um, to make it more attractive. You know, there's some cities um, that do a simple taxation. So when I was helping a client in Europa Valley, the taxation was just the square footage of your building. And it was it was tied into that. And it wasn't overly oppressive with, you know, filing um, a licensing fees and all of that kind of stuff. So they're really going to have to do something in the next year or two to really make it attractive for people to come to their city. And you're right. L.A. County is still closed. Who knows when that's going to open? Uh, But it's election year. It's election month next month in L.A. And people really need to to look at those board of supervisors, one in particular, and those city council people. And if they're not doing their gig or supporting what we think should be supported, I say boot them. Yeah. Yeah, boot them, boot them with the vote. I think that's yeah. like so often, I think we forget that we have a true power of the vote. And I think in 2020, yeah. from a national perspective, we have to really remember that and remind anybody um, to go out and vote. 
people who are even disenchanted with who they might want against, you know, Trump if, if they're voting that way. But I think locally, there's so much power into showing up, voicing your concern. And you're so right, Tony. City council is really where most of those decisions are being made. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. I totally, you know, I, I believe that. I totally believe that we have some people, especially in L.A. City Council, L.A. County, they have historically been in office for 150 years, or we, <laughs> you know, vote them in because they used to represent our communities. You know I'm of color for the listeners. And, you know, they don't. They don't serve our con- uh, communities anymore. So why do we have them on there? Mm-hmm. So I'm all about the booting. And I will be uh, booting them on my vote in March. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Well, we got to get enough people, I think, aware of like, hey, like, take yourself to the ballots and, and go and vote because that's a huge, uh, a huge stance to take. Absolutely. 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 Yes. So number three, so number two, local and kind of solution to local is really just getting out and vote and making sure that there's some education um, with talking to the local governments and really under kind of creating a relationship. And typically that's what lobbyists do. And I would If the state had the ability, I would hope that the state could have done something. But California is so big that you know, there's really these silos between the counties and the states. And the states. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, number Absolutely. three. We talked about that reducing that damn taxation. Yeah. It's got to be reducing that taxation. Um, it's just too much money. Yeah, and so that's clients? why we're saying it's, excuse me? I'm sorry to interrupt. Um, how are your clients dealing with the tax? Like, I mean, like firsthand, like, are you hearing them just like, I mean, cause it's such a big chunk of their revenue. Yeah. I mean, it hits a lot. So the people that are really have their business up and running are my clients in Oakland because mm. they had licensing a lot earlier than we did in Southern California. So they're dealing with it. I mean, it's hard. They're having to work a lot harder. They're having to join, you know, partnerships and getting together to be more productive. But they're dealing. The thing, I I don't hear taxation as much Hmm. uh, from them in as much as I hear it um, with other cities who have a, a big hefty like development agreement, like I said, with the city mm. uh, for a percentage of gross profits, uh, plus the state tax. Those people are complaining all day long. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's rough out there. It's just, I can't even go any more about it because everybody knows it's a huge problem. Yeah. Everybody says we have got to reduce the taxes. I mean, what more can you say? Local, state, it's just got to be reduced in order in order for this market to thrive. Yeah, yeah, no, I hear you. How do you, you know, one interesting thing that was on MJ Biz Daily a few weeks ago, perhaps, was like, oh, the wholesale price of um, cannabis is actually going up for um for greenhouse in California and kind of the prices are kind of maintaining the exact same amount. And some of the factors 
to it, you know, of why the supply chain really, or the supply curve, like if you just go back to like economics shifted, it was because there weren't as many people kind of playing in the game. And there was a lot of mergers and acquisitions in California. And then the article even went on to kind of talk about just how investors have been kind of like exactly what you said at the very beginning, like don't go to LA. A lot of investors are like, well, don't go to California for a while, waiting for probably about this year for almost the bottom to hit in the state so they could, you know, swoop up on infrastructure and businesses pennies on the dollar. Do you, do you agree with that? Do you like, what is your opinion, I guess, of like where, okay, so here, that is where we are today, right? But hoping that that is hopefully the low of what we've kind of talked about, like where could we see California going in the next 12 months? I think, see, I don't think it's California hitting rock bottom. Mm. What I think of it is as the natural shakeout of business. Mm. So I was talking to uh, my partner and friend Eugene Kim about this maybe two weeks ago. So I used to work for a big um, private equity company in 2000 at the height of dot com. Remember, everything was dot com, everything, Mm -hmm. people buying domains. And it was just crazy in business. Everybody under the sun had a dot com. Then you had people investing in this, no business plans, same to me like cannabis. And then you saw all of these people just kind of go, the dot coms go by the wayside. Mm -hmm. And what was left were the true people in the space who had a vetted out business plan that made sense, capitalized, and this, that, and the other. I think that's what you're going to start seeing in California. I mean, we read all the articles about MedMen, about all these companies Mm -hmm. that are basically laying off people. And I really think it was just throwing money in these businesses. I can tell you from just dealing with with clients and vendors, do you believe, Simone, in this day and age, I have a phone call with someone who doesn't have a vendor contract. Oh my God. That has a can- <laughs> that has a cannabis license. That has yeah. a can- oh my yeah. God. And so it's things that you and I know should be done the first day. Yeah. And I think this has been historically an industry where it was, Hey bro, a handshake and we're good. And I saw that, Three years ago, so much when I used to tell my clients, you've got to get a contract. You cannot do this on a handshake and that's it. But those types of things are shaking out. Hey guys, Simone here. Just a quick, quick thing I wanted to share. Head on over to Calagia.com and join me in a new Slack community channel I have for cannabis business professionals. It's completely free right now to use. And the whole intention is let's work together. Let's share the information that we have. And let's also meet other entrepreneurs in this space. So all you have to do is go over to Calagia.com, www.kalogia.com backslash slack and you will be able to join this community super excited all right back to the show rich and they're going to do what they did in their old black market ways Mm -hmm. into the new regulated market it just doesn't work 
And yeah. this is a natural yeah. shakeout of those people is that you have got to utilize business principles. Okay. You have got to run this like a business. I am now involved in two lawsuits and this is oh, going wow. to happen going forward where partners have breached their fiduciary duties in the business, in the partnership, and their other partners are trying to get them out. You and I both know that exists every day in business, but cannabis acts like this is a new concept. It's yeah. a partnership. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. Did you not? Yeah, did you not read the information and about partners' uh, duties and responsibilities? And you know you have to work in a way that the partnership thrives and not in a way that the partnership doesn't. Yes. And those are the things that we're seeing. So only people who are open. Now, I have people up in Oakland who this is their first business. But the difference is they're open to get the information. They're going to classes. They're online. Yes. They're trying to figure out, okay, how do I make this work? They understand those old principles in my old weed selling days are not applicable to a new market. Yeah. And so my whole thing is you got to get on board. You yeah. got to get on board. <laughs> and so what we're seeing, I think, is just a natural shakeout from the people who are really serious and doing the work and mm -hmm. capitalize and get business plans versus the ones who thought, oh, we're going to make some quick, easy money. Mm -hmm. And all we need is a cultivation license and that's it. <laughs> I remember this one time I wrote somebody a business plan and I, I ended up telling him, I was like, you know, I really don't think you should go into business. Like you don't have the team, like you have a little bit of capital, but like you don't have the infrastructure, all that stuff. And I didn't get the second part of my invoice because I think I didn't, I didn't give them the right the information that they wanted. But I just, I, I completely agree with you. And you know, I'm, I'm listening to you and I'm thinking to myself, like, I mean, as myself, an entrepreneur in cannabis, not touching the cannabis plant, but as an ancillary provider as well, there's something about starting your own business where you need to be overly optimistic, right? You need to wake up every yeah. morning. You need to be so excited. You need to have your why and your mission, but then you have to, you have to like, hit the road where rubber like hits the road, right? Like you have to actually then take that idea and really focus, 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 and make sure that you do have the right resources to be successful. And I'm just curious if there is such shiny object syndrome in the cannabis <laughs> space, specifically in California, because of the media, because of the news, because of the green rush, because what we had also seen, even in Colorado, everyone was doing so well. If that also led to something where now this shakeout, I mean, of course, yeah, you're right. It's just inevitable um, to happen. But it, it is interesting because, you know, you go to the Vegas conference, the MJ Biz Daily, or you go to any big cannabis conference, and it's like a party. I mean, it's a very big, like, oh, my God, you hear about everybody's ideas. You hear about you know, all of these like crazy new business, you know, ideas and innovations. But I guess when you have to, you know, objectively, if anyone, like if the listeners, if you're thinking about starting your business is like peel back the smoke screen of everything and really understand like the sound business behind it. Um, if you really are starting, like if you're starting new, because when we, you know, Tony, I feel like, you know, being in France right now, I feel like I've seen the future. 
Um, and there's so much, I think, to share about all of the things that we've learned and seen in California, because I don't think that it's, I don't think that what had happened in California, I, I imagine it's going to happen in other states, just not the same magnitude. Absolutely. And, you know, especially with here, we're the sixth largest in California, you know, sixth largest economy in the world. Mm -hmm. And so it's always more magnified, I think, here than in other places, just by sheer volume. Um, See, I don't think it's a California death sentence, though. I think it's going to take a while for everything to start moving and and getting together. I think everybody thought this was going to be easy and quick. Yeah. Um, And it just hasn't turned out that way. But we see how other places can be successful, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, what's happening in Illinois, it's just really exciting to me. But they did it the right way. I think they took our example (laughs) and looked at it. In Illinois, you had the attorney general, a district attorney, pardoning a gazillion people. Why is Jackie Lacey doing that three years down the line, you know, Mm -hmm. with 66,000 convictions done? That should have been year one. That should have been before licensing started here. So I just think that Hopefully, other jurisdictions are seeing what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the social equity, like in L.A., I mean, yeah. social equity waivers. The Department of Cannabis Regulation is supposed to have technical uh, support help. That that hasn't existed. Mm-hmm. I mean, so it's so, and I know we're going to talk about L.A., but it's just all of these things that I hope other jurisdictions see that weren't working or have been slow to work here and say, as part of our ordinance drafting, we're going to include all of this stuff. And and who I see has been really successful at being extremely proactive has been Illinois. Yeah. I mean, even with their ability to help, you know, cannabis businesses with funding, um, I think they have like different interest rates for some of the loans that they're going to give out. I mean, it's definitely, you could see a ton of thought was put into how the rules and regulations were drafted. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that is something that is imperative. That oh, is yeah. really imperative. Yeah. Well, can we start talking a little bit about LA? I'm, I'm just so curious. Oh. I, I, and you know, unless, is there anything else you want to say about just like California in general, just about like, is there, is there any glimmer of hope, I guess, for the next 12 months? So, and like 2021, you know, like what's up, what do you think, California? I think there's a glimmer of hope. I think there is, because now you have a governor that wants to see us win. Mm -hmm. And that's really important. You know, that's important. So I think Newsom is going to do more to try to really get this business off the ground and encourage cities to do, to do so. Um, but on our part, meaning the part of the operator, mm-hmm. you just have got to get your ducks in a row. Mm-hmm. And it just can't be this pipe dream of me like – this just irritates me. When I see the do yoga and get high in a public park. Really? 
it, it's kind of like what you're saying. There's regulations. There's stuff attached to all of this. <laughs> On the operator side, you have to do your due diligence. You do. And it has to make sense. You can have this pipe dream. But again, like I tell my clients, you are in a regulated industry where you're putting a substance in the stream of commerce. Do you not think there's not going to be regulations attached to that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but if you look, if I was like in a, in a console and you said that, I'd be like, oh my God, you are so right. right? Like, I think it's just like having that dawn, that realization, right? Like dawn on you. You're like, oh, wow, I'm still actually uh, trafficking in a controlled substance. Like, right and that's what i always have to say when the people call me about brick making brownies for their friends oh. and then you know being an ex-litigator i always think of the liability attached to this oh, yeah. you know you have got they've got to make sure that the liability is contained because if somebody got sick and, and there wasn't a regulation and, and God forbid killed 15 people, you think they weren't going to sue the city and the state that, you know, it's foreseeable or you had uh, constructive knowledge that some shit was going to happen down the line. So, I mean, people have to be practical about the state, the state and cities have an interest to protect their citizens. And when you're putting a controlled substance in the stream of commerce, that's what these hoops and regulations are all about, is the thought is making sure we vet individuals, we do everything necessary to protect our citizens. Amen. We got to go educate some people. We got to go educate some people. So and then now we're going to talk about L.A. God, I need a drink. Well, <laughs> Simone, ain't nothing going on but the rent in L.A. That is it. So, um, wait, wait, yeah, well, it's can, people just Tony, can we just rent. give a, a, a quick, like, um, history lesson on L.A.? So we're 2020. Can you just, like, walk us through? So 2020. 2018 state level California cannabis regulation kind of hits there had been how guide me a little bit with kind of what had happened in LA since 2018 oh my god okay so the first wave of um ordinance and and the LA ordinance is just really mimics the state, right? Mm -hmm. And it's yep. not what we call a, um, what is the word? I just forgot this quickly. Um, so let me, let me just erase that whole train of thought and let me go here. So yeah. since 2018, we've had now three phases. So the first mm -hmm. phase was, you know, um, people who have had collectives for a while, that's phase one, as long as they could show that they had been paying taxes for a certain period of time and that they were selling, they needed these letters from other people in the system, then they were given phase one uh, retail uh, licenses. The thought is they're going to be grandfathered in. Now we get them on the books for paying taxes, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and those were the pre-ICOs, right? And then the second phase was social equity, but everything but retail. So cultivation, manufacturing, testing all the way through, but all, all of those non-retail. And then we got to the faithful phase three. 
phase three was just oh. happened, and everything was supposed to go in um, the first week of September. Mm-hmm. And this was for individuals who were social equity. And the first phase was a lottery style, right? So at 10 o'clock a, or 10 o'clock a.m., that was the time. The first 100 people that got in and who had properties were going to be up to continue the licensing process. Again, continue on with the licensing process because everybody thinks these people have licenses. They don't. You have the lot of stuff, you hoops you have to go through before you get the license. So then it was discovered that some people had access to the platform before 10 o'clock. And when you had as many people, over 800 people try to get online, I mean, seconds counted. That could be the difference between 300 and 100, right? Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. now there's an audit going on in the city of LA, auditing that whole process. Um, The outcome of the audit should be made public the mid part of March. And so we will know what happened. The, did those people get access? Some people did. Um, the city of LA said we did a correction. We kind of put those people where they should have been based mm-hmm. on when they logged in. But all of this will, will kind of shake itself out. In the interim, because this process in LA has been going on for years, yeah. Yeah, people are running out of money. It's everything you said at the beginning of our conversation. People are running out of money. Um, investors are like, you know, you could have had fifty thousand. I'm investing in, but no more. Mm-hmm. Um, people did not get part of that hundred that felt they should have. And ooh, there's a lot of disgruntled folks in the streets. They mm-hmm. are not happy. Um, And so you've been seeing, especially in L.A. Times, they've been doing a series of articles regarding what's happening in the social equity space. Uh, Some people of color feel like the individuals who have won licenses don't reflect their communities. Um, And some people who are at the forefront of the social equity movement did not get their licenses. Well, if you're in a lottery what do you expect? You know what I mean? I I don't want to be cold and shit, but that's the reality of the situation. It's going to be winners and losers. And let me tell you the truth, because I have two people who I represent is those individuals who had incubate people incubating them, who had the technology, who really had people get some, good T-lines in and fast internet, those are the people who got through. And Mm. that takes money. And so I don't know what you do. See, people aren't going to like my suggestion. (laughs) Well, they're kind of practical. Yeah, I'm like, let all 800 go through. I guarantee you only only 200 going to shake out with real businesses. See, I think it's going to be the natural selection because I see for years how many people have really gotten their licenses and got their businesses out the ground and the people who haven't. 
Again, this is, you know, they, I, I mean, there's undue concentration, so I, I'm sure that's why they can't allow that by mm-hmm. virtue of the ordinance. And undue concentration is given the population too many, you know, um, cannabis businesses for a percentage of the uh, uh, population. But I just think those it's going to be natural attrition. Yeah, I, I think you're think right. Those people will not get off the ground. And, and then you make everybody happy, and the people who are serious are serious. And I just, out of 800 people, I don't even see 250 getting off the ground. I'm going to yeah. be that big of a hater. Yeah, well, I think you're just being realistic. And I think what's what's frustrating to me about kind of just how the whole system was set up is that you mentioned, and it's just part of kind of the rules of the lottery, is that you had to have property before you could even apply for the license. Right. And And my whole thing with this whole process was it bred so many predatory practices. Yes. I was so shocked when people I have worked with, you know, since 2016, who I thought were social equity advocates. Mm -hmm. And when I saw those sucking predatory contracts that they were trying to give my client and they wouldn't negotiate or move. I mean, I have three clients that basically said, I'm not going to do it. And, and it was, people will sign anything. And this is my problem. They sign anything for this hope and this dream. But I've had problems in Oakland where People who have incubated social equity applicants, mm-hmm. once they've gotten their licenses, they're trying to get those people out of their buildings. And so you really oh. have to have a partner. Oh, that shit is shady. It oh, wow. is super shady up there. And that's and I'm glad I've seen that because I know how to now protect my clients down here because you and I think the natural inclination is if they're going to partner with us, they're going to do right by us. Yeah. And that's not true. So I've tried to really protect my clients down here and let them know when we're dealing with these people that incubate them, this is what we're having. This is what we're doing. We're not doing this Um, because the social equity person is in the driver's seat and they have to basically, you know, feel like they're in control in the situation. Mm -hmm. And so many times they don't. And like I tell my clients, but for your license, that person can't do business. But for you, keep yeah. that in mind. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it is. Um, I, I just don't like the whole thing. It was the lottery sucked. It yeah. read predatory practices. That sucked. People just signed these contracts and they suck. <laughs> um, so, you know, I'm trying to work with organizations now. In fact, I just posted it on my Facebook that there is um, kind of a social equity LA meeting that's happening on the 20th. And it's educating people about kind of what's happening, what they should look for. And this is in response to as I said in the beginning, the city was supposed to do these technical assistance, right? And in fact, I was designated to be one with uh, the Green Believers Group, but they haven't done anything. So there's this group called the Social Equity Business Development Forum, and they're really trying to, I mean, this is pro bono. I'm not getting paid for this, but we all believe 
social equity people need to get some information. And so we're just giving our time um, just to educate people and to hopefully help them on their social equity journey. We're going to be there and we're going to go over pitch decks. We're going to go over taxes. We're going to go over, for me, you know, the big thing is about the contracts, compliance, yep. facilities, just, you know, everything people in general should know. Um, but I'm with you. I, you know, we're going to do some exciting things for 2020 about educating operators. And that is really important. Uh, people just think once they get the license, the compliance is out the door. But, honey, that's where it really starts. Oh, my gosh. So, that's um, I can't wait till we start that. Oh, my gosh. I am so excited. And I'm already just thinking about how we just could even just take some of this information and just start talking to governments, right? Like, Yes. Just about some of this stuff, because really, you know, I look at this where we're so we're so lucky trying to always have gratitude in, in this situation to have been able to help the people that we're able to help, but also to have kind of seen and especially you, you've seen a lot more than I have in the past year of, you know, how it can get really bad. But this is such a great industry and everybody that's joined you know, this space in the last few years, not everybody, but generally come at it with like a way to, they see cannabis as a way to kind of solve some of the issues that America has and the world has. And, you know, if we can figure out a solution to some of these complicated problems and really provide a path to for entrepreneurs to entrepreneurship and to feeling confident about their business and understanding compliance, because it doesn't need to be so scary, why wouldn't we? And everybody has a phone, right? So I don't understand why <laughs> we're going to have any issues giving them the right information. Absolutely. And, you know, this year I really thought about at the beginning of the year, what mm -hmm. was going to be my purpose and calling? Yeah. And I think we have this conversation that I really wanted it to be around education yeah. because I just, I, I really want people to be successful, but I really want individuals to have the knowledge and that they can make an informed decision. Um, and I think sometimes that just doesn't happen. And we've got to get the information out so people can be successful. Yeah. Yes. Amen. I mean, like, I feel like the easiest quote I always remember about education is, uh, knowledge is powered by Einstein, but there's so much that we can do with having the right information. Like it's, it's the only thing to me, yes, capital is a huge part, right? Your first barrier that we talked about, but having the knowledge of how to access capital, how to find capital, how to talk to people about capital, you know, having the tools of just being able to understand this game and then applying the, that knowledge with the right resources is that could set anybody apart. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, in communities of color, we ain't got folks we know who got millions of dollars. Yeah. And so we really need to know how to access um, money yeah. because, you know, a lot of times, uh, you know, I'm fortunate to be in a group with a lot of my friends are high net worth ladies. I mean, that's the industry that they in. They They've chosen a different path in life. I, I mean, they're not, yeah, they're not mothers. I got one friend who's a mother. I, I just, I call us the barren gang. Um, <laughs> but it's 
easy for them to talk about money, finance, to put people in front of versus I have another set of girlfriends that have no concept what that looks like and what a pitch deck is and how do you talk to people about money. And so part of this educational process, you're so correct, is educating people not only about the process, about capital, about taxation, about how that fits in the bottom line, all of those things in order for you to have a good business. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, it's so funny how everybody has a different way of kind of looking at it, depending on kind of what your life mm-hmm. path is, right? Mm-hmm. Oh. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Well, I have, I'm not going to, I don't want to do the speed round because I want to get you on pretty soon, but I do have one question for you. What is one advice that you wish every entrepreneur had before they came to see you? That is a fantastic question. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I mean, it really is. Be open to the process. Yes. Be open. Be open. The greatest single life advice my grandmother gave me, two things. First of all, she always said, you cannot approach life with a bald fist because nothing gets in or out. And that has served me (laughs) my entire (laughs) life. And that's true. And she was always, you have got to be open. An extended hand lets everything in. And people have got to be open. When I when people come to talk to me some days, oh, Simone, I just want to <laughs> shoot myself. Because then I know, I know, I know. Well, what, if you know, what the hell are you coming to see me? You know, I never had this thing. If I don't know something, I don't find any shame in saying, I don't know. I mean, I can't fix my own broken arm. Hell, that's why I go to the doctor. You're starting off a cannabis business. You don't know everything. That's why you're coming to see me so you can get some ideas and figure out what you can do. So the advice that I have is just be open to hear a different point of view. Don't come in with a preconceived notion about this business mm-hmm. just because you stole 10 bags, dollar bags of weed in 1978. That's not the shit anymore. No, <laughs> especially in 1978. I'm like so many decades yeah, exactly. in the past. You know, I'm dating my old ass. <laughs> But I mean, it's such good talk and it's real talk. I think that, you know, always having you on and being able to have this dialogue, it's, you know, both of us, we get so passionate about helping people and educating Mm -hmm. people because we see the opportunity that there is in this industry. And I think that we both have this mission to make sure that that opportunity just doesn't go to you know, one class of people or one set of people, but the opportunity is able is for anybody who's willing to put in the hard work and who, if they don't know how to do it, can find the right people. And I'm, I'm pumped. I'm like, we gotta, we gotta get going on a project soon, Tony. Yes, we do. And we will, and we absolutely will. So that is, um, that's going without saying that's going without saying. Yes. Well, anything else you want to share before we get off the podcast? Well, 
I, I think we've covered so much. And again, thank you. And if anyone has any questions, please, you can always email me at Tony at fourleafconsulting.com. And that's T-O-N-I, the number four leafconsulting.com. You can follow me on um, Instagram and Facebook. But just thankful for the opportunity for us getting together and we're going to make these regular, which is really good. And Mm -hmm. I'm always excited. And I just want everybody to keep that optimism that you were talking about, Simone, in this process. Keep it going. I, you know, I think all things can work out. Um, they might not work out in your time frame. Lord knows I've learned that from life. But yeah. <laughs> eventually, they always come to fruition. So you have to be optimistic and and have a lot of tenacity. Oh, yes. Well, thank you so much, Tony Forge from Four Leaf Consulting. And definitely, once we post this, join us in our Facebook group and let us know what other episodes you want to hear from Tony uh, and myself and how we can help you along the journey. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's show. This is your host, Simone Simaluka-Radzins of Calagia.com. I hope that you find this episode entertaining and insightful. My goal is to educate all of you about this exciting business because knowledge is power. If you haven't already, head on over to Calagia.com to connect with me and to meet other business leaders in the professional cannabis community. Also, if you like this, please go into iTunes and leave the Cannabis Business Minds podcast a five-star review. See you next episode.